0: hey everyone future mike here future taylor as well yeah uh we got some pretty big news in the pipe during the last minute see we went and recorded this week's episode on wednesday night right before the uh balance changes finally dropped and we're here this morning yeah we've talked about it a bunch on the show um go back to episodes 59 and 60 if you want like our full in-depth breakdown of this but uh We'll give you the quick hits right now because we're, we're sure that you're all waiting to hear us talk about that. So I've already been chomping uh, away at uh, Amphibious Beta Carotina, and I guess I'll put my decklist for that in the show notes now.
1: Yeah, the the Bog of Enlightenment going from uh, three costs to two costs. Seems like one of the more powerful buffs.
0: And I hope everyone out there is using their uh, extra Briar Rose and Valkyries to make some other fun new Legendaries. Oh,
1: shit. Yeah, that's right. We forgot to... We didn't even mention the most important thing about it, which is that you finally get to disenchant all your extra Legendaries that you have clogging up your solid gold rocket car.
0: 24,200. Nice. So that's what? That's... Three Briar Rose, three Valkyries, and four Planet of the Grapes, because I had eight of them. Okay. So that's that's enough to make six
1: more Legendaries then?
0: Yep. I made... uh, two of them already just to polish off my set three set which uh, is appropriate enough for this week's episode i suppose
1: nice so um if you've been plugging away at bog of enlightenment um i think my projects for the new balance patch are probably going to be frankentar uh the formerly five five now five seven uh five cost crazy garg that says it gets plus one plus one whenever a zombie dies Uh, And so I um, like to play token decks. I think that this card has always been kind of like teetering on the brink of being pretty good. Uh, And so I'm willing to give that a shot for right now. Then the other one that I wanted to mention was actually Transfiguration, uh, which is going from a 3-7 to a 4-7. And it seems like a pretty inconsequential change because as soon as Transfiguration takes damage, it gets polymorphed into something random. But I think that this is going to end up kind of making this card like tantamount to a portal technician 4-4 four, four zombie that when it dies you make a random zombie um like i think that this is going to be a lot more likely to trade with an entire card from your opponent on the front end um and then like give you a completely random surprise whenever it takes its first damage with the potential upside up also like the rest of your plants take damage and then get polymorphed kind of thing and so i'm um i'm gonna give this a go because i've got four of them
0: yeah i definitely support that i might go ahead and uh craft a set of them myself now that I have all these uh, extra sparks. The other card I'm going to try and work around more with is the typical Beanstalk, which is now a 3 cost 3-3 three, three, instead of a 4-4 four, four for 4, and uh, still has the when you play it next to a leafy thing, Conjure a Leafy card. And I want to see how this works out in like a Savage Spinach deck, where you play the 3-3 three, three as your lead-in to evolve the spinach on turn 4. Like I think that'll curve out really nicely, because the, the Beanstalk is not like a threatening 3-3 like, say, a Sportacus would be. So I think it'll be reasonable to see it live till turn 4.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in that case, you would probably want to try to um, get some value, some trade value off the 3-3 before the evolution because, like, sacrificing an entire 3-3's worth of stats to do the evolve, that's, like, paying a lot more of a cost than evolving something like a lily pad or a banana leaf. But 3-cost 3-3 does match up pretty well with what else you expect to see on the board at that time. Uh, so I would expect that to work out reasonably well.
0: Yeah. And is there any card you're looking forward to not playing anymore? <laughs> looking forward to not playing? Well, um, I suppose the card that I would like to play against the least
1: is Valkyrie. I'm kind of pretty sick of dealing with Valkyrie. Whether changing that from a 3 cost to 4 cost is going to make all that much difference, I can't really say. But um, I'm certainly hoping that it will. I think the card that will have the biggest chunk taken out of it, for which I will be happy, uh, is Barrel of Barrels. Um, I think just like with Escape Through Time, it was going to be, it was all over the place. It's going to cost two. It's going to be the kind of niche combat trick that it's kind of always meant to be, instead of the just like kind of unstoppable value machine that uh, makes anything trade with anything. I'm I'm excited to see a lot less of that.
0: I hope that happens, too. I'm a little concerned that because it's something that's just in everyone's decks already, it might take a little while before people start uh, choosing other stuff over it, but it does make playing a huge Giganticus a little bit easier, especially when they can't get those free ones anymore off of a Terraformer.
1: Yeah, if people are just going to jam the same decks that had 4x barrel or barrels in them kind of indiscriminately, uh, that means they're going to start losing games. And um, so, you know, if everybody who had Barrel of Barrels in their deck keeps it around, um, I have a feeling that that's going to be a better outcome for plant players than if the, the zombie players, um, like, routed around needing to find another card to replace Barrel of Barrels.
0: I uh, hope so. Um, I guess one card that I think will see a really big drop-off in play is the Shelf Mushroom, the 2-mana two 2-3 two, that had the fusion due to damage. It was a... Mushroom and a berry, and it is a big hit going from a two-three to a two-two, and like as we've seen with interdimensional zombie, which arguably could have also gotten a full disenchant value, that also went from a three-health thing to a two-health thing. There's way more stuff that'll kill it now, and yeah. when I when I played around with shelf mushroom, it would survive a trade as a two-one a lot of the time, and uh, that's not going to happen anymore. So I think that was, you'll be able to find better berries to play, either like. Wild berry, or just any number of things, than self mushroom.
1: Yeah, I think that the two cost four one that moves to a random lane. I think it's going to end up being the better pick for like the just go face type berry decks, and the kind of more valuey ones are probably going to be able to find something else like in the guardian class um, that'll be able to get you some card advantage. Before the show, I think we both agreed that the the card that we are the most unsure about what will happen to is laser beam. Um, Laser Bean is getting two stat buffs instead of going it's going from a four six to a five seven. So six cost five seven with strike through that pretty much everybody's gonna have, whether that's enough to be um kind of like a legitimate inclusion for the kinds of decks that want to finish the game with a beefy strike through creature. Um, you know, if it ends up being like something kind of similar to uh Grapes of Wrath, where it's like this is a thing that attacks for six, and is also guaranteed to deal six to your opponent's face, kind of as like a finisher for your deck that wants to um, get early and mid-game damage in. Laser Bean is pretty similarly positioned to that, in that the strike-through is going to mean that it hits face every time it attacks, and seven health means it's probably going to get to attack twice.
0: Yeah, either that, or it's going to eat like a single target removal, which will free up one of the other things you probably have going on, because I think... The kind of deck this would work the best in is something really dedicated to ramping out a lot of sunlight early on, and just being able to get up to six before your sixth turn and slam down some of those big threats. And you know, you play this alongside your cob cannon and your uh, I don't know your toadstool maybe and your astrocado. Like you just find like another big beefy thing to, or maybe in like a uh, any kind of restricted like no legendaries uh, tur- tournament format. I could see. Or just new thing.
1: players. I mean like I think that this is this becomes a lot more um a lot more effective of a of a top end for a ramp deck um that you know is for maybe a free to play player or someone who just started. Um I think that this is a pretty reasonable inclusion in that case. Probably not worth crafting. Um no. I think that there are still super rares that'll that'll get you more bang for your buck than laser bean, um but I think that this is going to be a pretty respectable place to put power points towards the top end of your deck. Um I also think that 6 is a is a pretty easy cost to ramp to. So, like, um, there are a lot of options available to ramp you from four to six. Just about all of the ramp cards, with the exception of Toadstool, I guess, um, can be played on or before turn four. Um, so that means that the, the chances of you being able to have a card available to get you out to this early um, is, is just that much higher because you have that much more mana to spend and time to draw them.
0: Not only that, but you also get this, uh, you know, an amount of the time off of a Cosmic Bean, and I usually feel pretty good sure. when I pull one of those, because then it also has team-up, and works as, like, a finisher in a bean deck really well, just having that big source of strike-through hammering to go along with the planks from the Navy Beans.
1: I'm with that. Um, so I th- one final thing that I'm um, kind of, like, curious what the strategic implication of is the set of zombie creatures that got gravestone. I think that this, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is new, that um, there have been no previous cards that didn't have gravestone and then got gravestone?
0: Uh, Discotron.
1: Oh, right, sure, of course. Okay, well, so forget that whole thing that I said. But I think that it still is going to make Captain Flameface and Trick-or-Treater and Cryo Yeti play a lot better. Um, You know, Cryo Yeti wasn't exactly knocking anybody's socks off, but that's a big haymaker to come out of a gravestone now. Captain Flameface and Trick-or-Treater, Um, are enablers where, like, if you get to spend a full turn with them being active, um, then you're a lot more likely to win the game. And so with Captain Flameface having Gravestone, I think you're that much more likely to get two uh, combats with your entire team having Strike Through. With Trick-or-Treater, you're that much more likely to have two Tricks phases worth of time to be able to activate the Trick-or-Treater's ability. Um, And so I think that that'll be... Um, some value town having there. I mean, we've done plenty of trick or treater on this show, so I'm not going to experiment with that right away, but I certainly look forward to that thing getting um, more of a place in the sun than it previously had.
0: I think right now, if you're uh, trying to pull one over on the zombie meta, you should be running like a bunch of gravestone hate, like even like Blockbuster and things like that. I think that all the stuff that got the uh, extra gravestone buff will um, make people look towards like things like mixed up Gravedigger and Pogo Bouncer and just like other strategies that didn't get uh, nerfed this time around so I think uh, gearing up on Andy Gravestone is a good plan for like this week
1: certainly not a bad thing to try but uh, you'll hear more about all of this stuff from us next time
0: yeah uh, yeah we'll, we'll have two weeks of playing around with the meta to let you know how we feel about things
1: and uh, so now you get to listen to this show that we recorded uh, before these balance patches dropped
0: yeah so take it away past Mike welcome back everyone to another episode of shroom for two coming at you from the wrong side of 30 years old i'm mike
1: and i'm taylor how does it feel to be officially old mike
0: uh, it feels old feels so old that i'm still recovering from my birthday i'm a little under the weather but uh over it enough to get on with the show for y'all how about you taylor
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I had fun at uh, the convention that I always go to uh, around my birthday time. Sci-fi and fantasy and games and stuff convention in Boston called Aresia. Um, That is a fun place to hang out with weirdos and play games and stuff.
0: Yeah, fun time. I used to go to that uh, pretty much every year back when I still lived in Boston. I spent my 21st birthday there. Great time at Aresia. I went down down to uh, Bloomington, Indiana to visit a couple friends of mine and uh, spend the better half of a week in their clutches fun times all around nice what's new in
1: pvz heroes for you mike i saw you made some new youtube stuff
0: yeah yeah that was the thing i did during our birthday week was i took a little time and recorded myself uh climbing up from rank 49 to 50 with the uh aggro green shadow deck which i guess i am now planting my flag all over but yeah, go uh, check out the video on on uh, the Shrimp for Two podcast YouTube page. It has gotten way more videos than most of the other stuff we do, just like everything else I post individually to Reddit.
1: Nice. Um and I'm uh, enjoying this uh new graphical template that you've got for the videos. I think that this is pretty good looking with the gradients and stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm very satisfied with this and it's uh the old videos with like just the raw phone footage was a little amateurish looking and this feel really nice. Like it's nicely uh it's easy for me to, ratioed. yeah. It's easy for me to interchange out uh, different colors or deck lists or whatever to make it look nice and uh, feel real good about it. And I feel real good about the, uh, the card games I'm playing while I'm recording, so that always helps too. Excellent.
1: So speaking of card games that we're playing while we're recording, uh, this is our set three retrospective episode.
0: Yeah, we uh, overshot the mark a little bit on the one year anniversary of Colossal Fossils coming out. That would have been back in October, but mm-hmm. uh, we did a uh, Galactic Gardens episode. Uh, little while back, and uh, had been meaning to do an episode for Set 3 as well, and here it is right now.
1: It's easy to forget how much of the kind of modern PvZ Heroes metagame and playstyle came from Colossal Fossils, um, but, you know, the sort of like how Galactic Gardens introduced environments and a lot of this stuff associated with that, here we've got Evolution and many of the modern kind of meta-shaping decks begin to take shape, and the kind of like the powerful cards that maybe ended up getting nerfed um, along the way. So, um, right, so I mentioned Evolution as one of the new mechanics for Colossal Fossils, uh, but we also got Untrickable uh, as the first appearance on a playable card and Dino Roar, uh, which had existed on Bananasaurus Rex before, but got keyworded and spread out over a number of other cards this time.
0: Yeah, and the uh, first batch of Dino Roar cards were pretty influential in the meta. Uh, first and foremost with uh, Stompadon, which, oh, yeah. while uh, not quite the powerhouse anymore now that it is a four-cost creature instead of three, when it came out, it was everywhere. It was suddenly the hardy meta first and foremost. It was really quite the sight.
1: Yeah, buffing every creature in your hand whenever you drew a card um, just made... Combine that with Conjure stuff and all the all the very good uh, Conjure creatures from set two, um, that Stompadon was just kind of the place to be while it cost three. Um, and so I think the other big Dino Roar powerhouse that came from there was Lima Pluridon, right?
0: Yeah, Lima Pluridon, definitely a card that I overlooked for a long time, but is a big-time powerhouse and can very easily uh, take over a game for you without ne- needing to do much beyond throw one down on the first turn. and it, But, I mean, it's it's easy to see why it would
1: fly under the radar, because it doesn't look anywhere near as impressive as Stompadon. Like, when Stompadon is doing its thing, you know, your board is full of, like, a million, a million creatures um, that have just infinite stats that are going to kill your opponent very fast. Limoplodon fills your deck with good cards. Uh, the the one-cost 4-4s four that draw a card when they come into play. Um, and so, you know... If you're losing to Lima Pluridon, it doesn't really look like you are until the turn when their board fills up with all the amazing Bean stuff. Or the turn where they're machine gunning you with Admiral Navy Bean.
0: Yeah, definitely um Lima is unique in that it's the only Banner War thing that will impact your deck instead of your field or your hand.
1: Yeah, that's one of the one of the cool things about, you know, like digital card games like this. Hearthstone has also done this a lot where you can kind of add cards to the deck mid-game in ways that you can't really do if you're playing with paper. And, um, you know, Lima Pluridon was really the only way that they ever... Well, no, I guess they, they did experiment with this in a few other cards. We had um, Going Viral and Click P, but um, that was really their only foray into this mechanic for a, a card that comes out of a booster
0: pack. I mean, the So Magic Beans kind of as well, but... The,
1: oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. They keep course. nerfing da, that da, into da, being da, da,
0: da. the worst card of its rarity, so it's uh, easy to overlook it.
1: Yeah, um, and I mean, I guess that makes it easy to see how um, they were able to select that effect to be a Dino World card on Lima Pluridon because, you know, the... so Like, this just says, whenever you draw a card, do the So Magic Bean thing one time. And so,
0: yeah. Yeah, and if you can pull a uh, bean stock off early, luckily, you can then just... Every time you play a Beanstalk, you also get another trigger off the Lima Pluridon, because they all draw a card to replace themselves.
1: Yeah, it combos with itself, gets better in multiples, you know. one of I mean, it's easy to see that it's a pushed card. You know, it's a one-cost Amphibious 2-2, which is pretty good already. Um, and that Dino War power is definitely very good. It's just not as, like, flashy as Stompadon. You're not, like, very obviously being overrun by how pushed this
0: card is. But it is, like, a Legendary, and I think the first Legendary from the Bean Tribe, so it... Does help raise that deck archetype overall around? 100%. So
1: uh, so here's a list of cards that got nerfed from set three or that will be nerfed in the upcoming balance patch, assuming we ever actually see that. Uh, we have Stompadon, Zomblob, Fossilhead, Barrel of Barrels, Fireweed, Quickdraw Conman, Sunflower Seed, and Jelly Bean. Even though only a few of those actually got nerfed, like in the big batch of nerfs from set three that happened several months ago. There was a period of time where set three was the most, um, it had like the best rate of sparks per gem or sparks per dollar spent, uh, in the entire PVC heroes store because like such a large proportion of the high rarity cards in the set had been nerfed so that you would be able to disenchant them for their full value. Um, you know, the, the expected value of cracking a colossal fossils pack went up, went through the roof.
0: Right, and I think the uh, the gondola zombie also got the uh, disenchant value because of a typo on its effect.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I was looking at my Colossal Fossils cards and saw that I didn't own any gondolas. And I, I'm i like, huh, I wonder why I never had any gondolas. It's a good card. I must have had it. And what must have happened was that I disenchanted them when they were worth 4000
0: Yeah, likely story. I think a lot about Galactic Gardens being kind of the, the benchmark as far as added power creep to the game based on what cards came out, and Colossal Fossils might have been right there with it, except that all of the cards at the super high end got uh, got toned down at some point.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff from Galactic Gardens kind of survived the Banhammer, um, you know, like a lot of the unfair stuff. You know, I guess um, Planet of the Grapes is finally going to get nerfed, but like the kind of extremely pushed stuff like Space Cowboy and whatnot and Dr. Space Time uh, were able to survive because that was just kind of what the set was all about. Um, Whereas, I guess, maybe for a small set, they were willing to take, you know, kind of a more active role in in
0: tamping stuff down. So uh, next up, we have a short list of new archetypes that came out as a result of uh, set three dropping. Um, Most notably being the Professional Zoo slash Stompadon deck we talked about a little bit with uh, the hardy core of running stuff like uh, Middle Manager, Fossilhead, Stompadon, and uh, all of those things to make the stuff in your hand get real big real fast and You can fill the board with cheap stuff that has uh, higher stats than you'd normally get from a couple of Dino Roars
1: We skipped over Zombie Middle Manager when we were talking about Stompadon but a big part of why Stompadon was so powerful was that they also printed a one cost creature that conjured a creature, I mean, most of the time it conjures a creature, conjured a professional, which is mostly creatures, at the same time that they printed Stompadon. So not only did you get Stompadon, you got, like, the cheapest possible enabler for Stompadon. Uh, and so that, um, you know, was really a one-two punch that just went in the exact, went in the same color, went in all the same decks, was, like, a big part of why Stompidon
0: was so good. And this is back when uh, Escape Through Time cost one still, wasn't it? It was, yeah. The other um, immediate splash from the zombie side would be the Zomblob deck, a very fearsome new kind of combo deck that was enabled by the Zomblob, which if you evolve it, you get more attack based on however many brains you generated that turn. So it uh, encourages the kind of like super degenerate combo, build up a bunch of brains sort of uh, style gameplay to either teleport your your big threat in or bonus attack at us a couple of times and kill them in like one or two hits.
1: Yeah, this if I remember, this was what precipitated the the nerf from Medulla Nebula going from two cost and making two brains to three cost and making two brains, um, because the way that worked was it was pretty similar to the modern um, you know Valkyrie Brainstorm deck where you know the plan is to to put a giant creature into play on the tricks phase and either do a bonus attack or or attack the regular way and then kill them immediately. Zomblob at the time it came out had bullseye, so you know it didn't matter what the block meter was when you did that. But Zomblob's condition for how it got greater power, um, unlike Valkyrie, which said just play the game the regular way and like have your small creatures that die and this will get big in your hand and then when you play it it'll be big. Zomblob said, if you make a bunch of brains, then I'm big. And so the honest way would be to make the game last a long time so that it would be like turn 10, it's a 10 power creature. Um, But the real way that people ended up doing it was abusing Medulla Nebula to get a bunch of triggers over and over again and make a bunch of extra brains. Because, you know, those extra brains that were made by Medulla Nebula would count towards zomblobs total as with the extra brains made by brain vendor the three cost two one That when it comes in you make three brains um that would buff the power as well so you'd on your tricks phase usually with a teleportation zombie on the field you would play a thing onto a medulla nebula you make some brains maybe evolve a thing over top of the thing you just played a medulla nebula uh trigger again make some more brains and then do that enough times that you know you would have a 14, 15, 16 power Zomblob, and then it would attack for 14 Bullseye, and they would die right away. Either it would kill the thing that was blocking, and then they would die, or they would die because you did this all in an open lane. Certainly one of the more uninteractive combo decks that the zombie players uh, were ever able to do in this game.
0: Yeah, it was quite the sight. The first time I queued up against a a really well-refined combo deck that was able to blitz me down in one turn while I just kind of helplessly watched the... Brain vendors get summoned and then popped in back in with mixed up Gravedigger and just the whole thing, and uh, yeah, it was, it was it's pretty impressive to get blitzed down like that, but it can be a pretty unfun if everyone on the ladder is trying it.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it was it was one of those decks that made people complain about the legendaries being too pushed and people paying to win because you know a lot of the the linchpin cards of the deck were legendary. I mean Zomblob itself was an unco- was a um, what was it? it? Was a rare, right? Yeah, gold. Yeah, it's a rare. It was not, it was, so the rare, the second second most common rarity, but the the cards that really made the deck go uh, were higher in rarity than Zomblob was. So we had a couple other uh, kind of build around me's or or other power centers that came in in this set. So I think a notable addition at that time was three nut. Uh, three nut used to be a three one. Uh, it's been buffed since then, but you know it is a way for the guardian class. To um, to take advantage of, you know, playing creatures with little to no attack, um, you know, making, like, 3-8 water chestnuts in the water lane and stuff, that's that's fun to do. Certainly something we've done quite a bit on this show. Uh, something else we've done quite a bit on the—well, hang on. Uh, do you want to add anything to the 3-nut?
0: Uh, just the 3-nut is alright. Like, it is definitely a legitimate deck type, although it might not—maybe don't make it your only plan going into a game, because— you know, like, if you don't draw any of the three nuts, then you, you're a little uh, out of luck, so don't rely on it on it too much. But it definitely works in in a complement with things like Pecanolith or Mirror Nut.
1: Yeah, it, it's one of the more fair build-around me's that w- that was included in this set. So one of the other ones uh, was included in this set that we have done quite a bit on this show was the Mime Garg. Uh, and so the Mime Garg, you know, the Garg that does a bonus attack whenever one of your other creatures does a bonus attack, came out as a 5-mana five 5-5. Five five. Uh, So it had the same stats as Smashing Garg, uh, which was, you know, one of the weaker ones. And as uh, as a consequence, this didn't really take off until later on it got buffed to be a 5-7, which is kind of the modern stats of, like, a pushed Gargantuar, the 5-mana 5-7. This was a cool way to incentivize you to build a deck around something that you didn't normally care about doing. You know, I, I still get a ton of joy whenever my Mime Garg does a bonus attack, when my opponent's Repeat Moss does a bonus attack. Like, you know, I, I always wonder if my opponent understands that that's how it works when the when the Repeat Moss goes to make the attack. Um, and so Mime Garg is definitely one of the funner cards that was introduced in this set. Um, and, uh, I'm glad to see that they kind of took a steadier hand with it at the time it came out, trying to see if it could stand on its own, just on the novelty factor. Um, and then later on when it became clear that it needed a little bit more power, we're able to put the power in the places where it needed to go.
0: Yeah. And there's a bunch of other like completely broken things in the brainy class that, uh, keep the mime guard from being the thing people get the most mad about. Like
1: even, even within that set, you know, that was the Zomblob color,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh just having this as, like a a fallback way to support like big health dudes is uh is nice as well and I I really like this card going forward once neutron amp becomes a one cost creature just Tarot. having that that source of of cheap bonus attacks I think is uh going to be very fruitful for a Mime Guard deck.
1: Yeah, I mean it is a little unfortunate that so much of the of the kind of fun stuff that zombie classes are able to do is concentrated in the brainy class, um, you know, as a magic player, brainy really does feel like the blue color where it's like, this color's gimmick is that it's the best at everything, or it's like, huh, okay, that's a little, I guess not the best, but like, this color's gimmick is that it gets a bunch of really powerful stuff to do, and it kind of maybe doesn't have a lot to do with each other, but they're the smart ones, so they get to do it, and you know, so as a player who likes to play brainy cards, uh, that's fine with me, I guess. Uh, but, you know, it does feel like they could have maybe spread the love a little bit more.
0: Uh, back in the day, I had a friend who was into magic tell me that I seemed like the kind of person who would really enjoy blue decks. So I guess now I know what he means by that.
1: Yeah, you know, it's like if you want to feel like you outthought your opponent, uh, but actually your cards were just a million times better than theirs in almost all ways, blue decks are, are great for that.
0: Well, hell, sign me up. All right, uh, back to going down the line of uh, new deck archetypes that show up. We have uh, a pair that are not really uh, probably on the same tier as the ones we've talked about, but we've got the Primeval Yeti deck, which is another like this. This really became the the set where Hardy took over as the zombie buffing class because of uh, all of the ways you can buff your entire field or entire hand at the same time. But the uh, the Primeval Yeti is one of the evolution creatures. It's a five mana four four. That if you evolve it, you give everything everything on the field gets plus two, plus two. So it's like a built-in monster match with a big body attached to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, this card definitely has a uh, special place in my memory for you kicking my ass with it so bad in one of our recorded matches.
0: Yeah, the uh, back... Doing, when that, the, doing
1: that Flag Zombie stuff.
0: Yeah, the uh, the budget tournament, I made a deck that involved Flag Zombie and a bunch of one-drops so I could play them all for free and then evolve the Yeti on the same turn. It's It's a fun deck. It's not like... Super hyper-competitive, but when you can pull it off, you feel really fun.
1: Yeah, you should go back and watch that video if you want to see me use way more profanity than I uh, had hoped to use on uh, this show, kind of back when I was more conscious that we have a lot of kids listening.
0: Yeah, well, you know, they've all aged a year by now, so should be Exactly. (laughs) All right, and uh, the last one I jotted down is the Candy Crush Z-Mac.
1: Which is an absolutely fantastic name um, because it's a deck full of, like, what? Go ahead and say it.
0: Uh, basically what the deck is, it is a kind of zoo deck that runs Zombology Teacher and a small professional package, but you're also running all of the cheap uh, 1 and 2 mana tricks you can get, including the uh, Healthy and Sugary Treats, which also uh, their updated forms are from the set, so you're able to do things like play Healthy Treat for 0 on your teacher or be able to buff up like a uh, like a Gladiator or a or Middle Manager or Fossil Head real big and Drop down some cheap going virals and uh, swarm them like that.
1: I don't really have anything to add to the Candy Crush EMAC part.
0: Uh, yeah, just uh, props to whichever member of the community came up with that name and uh, this deck idea. Um, I prob- definitely
1: seems like a really good deck. I mean, Zombology teacher is one of the one of the nastier trick based strategies to go for.
0: And this was back when uh, quick draw con man was a one four as well. So that's just yeah. that made all the the crazy decks just a little bit better.
1: yeah, I mean if you if you put a healthy treat on a quick draw con man, even now, it's just basically never going to die. Yep. okay, so let's talk about some of the um the cards from the plant side that had a lot of defining archetype stuff happen. So uh, I think the the cards that stick out in my mind the most from set th- three. Uh, on the plant side, are all in this solar class, namely Elderberry and cob Cannon. I think that pretty much every solar deck that you're going to run into these days, be it a ramp deck, be it, you know, one of those aggro decks, be it, you know, some strategy that's less good than either of those two, or a control rose or something, um, are going to play one or both of those cards.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree and think that uh, overall solar got the biggest boost of their, of uh, any color For the plant side, mostly because of those two cards. Yeah, I mean, if
1: so each class got five cards, right? And so if you look at all of the five cards that each class got, you can sort of put it into like a very good, pretty good, not so good, super good, you know, various kinds of buckets for how powerful the card is. Solar's cards are Kernel Pult, which I think is very reasonable, Primal Sunflower, which is a good aggro card, Sunflower Seed, which is a very good value card, Elderberry, which is just an absolutely bananas card in all ways, and Cob Cannon, um, which is one of the best finishers available to a class that has good finishers as part of its primary defining characteristic. I think Solar Solar really kind of got the lion's share of the power points on the plant side here.
0: They also uh, synergize with each other a good bit, with the uh, Sunflower Seed and the Kernel Pult leading uh, tokens behind to feed into the bigger things.
1: Or be able to evolve your Elderberry.
0: Um... I'm going to be boring and say that the plant card that had the most impact was fireweed because it worked as such a simple effective counter to so many environment plans and led to a lot of really good, like tempo kabloom decks being really strong. That's
1: legit. It's certainly um, one of the more playable hate cards uh, that the plants received. You know, it's uh, the ability to get a good rate creature that, that also paves over their environment. Just packs a whole lot of punch into a two cost creature.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of the uh, the totem golem from Hearthstone, where it's just it's too many stats to play on turn two. Like you just can't not run it. It's just so good. Oh, the
1: the two mana three four with overload one. Yeah, yeah. And this this yeah, ki- that thing was a house.
0: This is kind of a four attack thing, or like at least it is capable of doing four damage to something on turn two, which is rare.
1: Yeah. So th- like. Totem. This won't trade with two two drops in the way that Totem Golem does, but this definitely punches way above its weight class and can go face when that's not something you need to do. Uh, so it's extremely versatile, and its versatility doesn't make you doesn't cost you any extra uh, resources. You know, it costs two. It always costs two. All you have to do is play it on the ground if you want to get the hot
0: lava, and sometimes you don't even want to. Right. Yeah. Tempo three three is a uh, pretty good use of it too.
1: Uh, so, um, one of the things you have on our list here that you say got um, a lot of power from Set 3, one of the plant archetypes was Cycle Cap. And we mentioned Lima Pluridon already, um, but talk about where else you think Cycle Cap got power points in Set 3.
0: Uh, that was pretty much entirely in reference to room, the 0-mana 1-1. One one that became okay. a thing. Like, this was, I think, also the first, the first uh, set to have 0-cost cards in it.
1: That's right. That's where these came from.
0: Yeah, and that just being... I, th- I think Puff Shroom is like one of the one of the cards that really helps make cycle cap work and like work fast because you're able to get that extra little bit of protection and value on the the turn you play the Astro Shroom in the Planet of the Grapes. You know, like That's
1: right. Know? It's a very good meat shield for the for the Shroom itself.
0: Yeah, and just being like a free uh, cycle of a card is is good to have to start getting that all that stuff rolling. But yeah, Lima Flirt on as well. But yeah, I think it was all because of those two cards.
1: What about Grave Mistake?
0: Um, I mean...
1: I I guess, it like, the power of Cycle Cap involves dealing damage without having to attack, so I guess that's a little less important there.
0: Yeah, I mean, Grave Mistake, in my mind, is more about a general uh, disbursement of being able to handle gravestones, like spreading out that pressure point from just the one card into uh, a couple of things that affect it in a different way. More than I think of Grave Mistake as being like, oh, this is good in Cycle Cap, because it's like marginal in Cycle Cap. Like, we've, we've seen the numbers. We know how many people are running with that card. That's
1: true. Um, and so in that same way, there are some other cards that are, like, fine in Cycle Cap, sometimes either as a supporting thing or as a plan B. I think notable on that list are Jelly Bean and Gloom Shroom. I really like Gloom Shroom in my Kabloom decks that want to storm the field, um, either Cycle Cap or the... Um, the Podfighter OTK kind of thing. Those are great p- things to have as a backup plan. Um, but I think I'm with you that Puff Shroom was the thing that really put Cycle Cap over the top. Hey,
0: man. I mean, Crow Magnolia too, maybe, but like... Sure,
1: I mean, Chrome Magnolia definitely sort of made the, the Cycle Cap idea um, a little bit more budget accessible because suddenly you had a reasonable payoff card that was rare instead of super rare.
0: Or a Pine Clone.
1: Or, yeah, or, or a Pine Clone.
0: Uh, the last plant card for the evening I want to highlight is the Triceratops, the two-mana, one-three with Bullseye that gives Dino Roar, uh, give this card plus one, plus one. and Super good. Yeah, super good. Kind of underrated because, like, it is definitely a finisher, but you don't think of it as one because it is a two-drop. But this can easily grow big enough to take over a game for you. And like, you know, if it if it hits one time for like seven damage bullseye, that can be enough for it. Definitely. I mean, any amount of bullseye
1: damage you can get through is excellent because it's free in terms of block. But Ugh. um keratops is honestly the card that it seems the most similar to in my mind is Doubled Mint. Um, because it's a card that you can ride to victory if it sticks around. It grows and becomes hard to deal with um if it's left alone for too long you get extra value out of buffing it uh in Double mint's case because it'll double the buffs but in triceratops case because it has bullseye and it um is in a class that has a lot of support cards around it that make it very good so you can have you can push stuff out of the way with garlic you can protect it and trigger its dinosaur with photosynthesizer you know different things like that
0: yeah i think the abundance of uh one mana things that will conjure you a card is a big uh, gateway to this card, like to unlocking its full power. If I can sound a little a little weird about that, but um, I no, I, I
1: think that that's right on the money. Yeah. And in fact, I think that's kind of part of where the power points in this set were distributed in kind of the most. Uh, dangerous ways um, that if you go back to what we were saying when the set first came out, Barrel of Barrels being not only an excellent combat trick, but also being a one-cost card that conjured you a card just made it so that you were suddenly able to get a bunch of card advantage through ways that had like zero opportunity cost. And so like, as you've mentioned on this show many times, Photosynthesizer is great and you should put it in every deck. Part of why you should put it in every deck is because the opportunity cost is basically zero. Um, And the fact that you're payoff cards can, like, get extra synergy with your zero-opportunity-cost support cards um, is just kind of a recipe for a frictionless glide into that card being excellent.
0: One little extra shout-out to uh, Grass Knuckles and Beta Caratina for having a superpower that will contribute two cards and immediately turn this into a 3-5.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right, of course. The one-cost draw, two. Yeah, that's pretty dirty, especially, like, on turn three. You play it and then play that at the same time. Get it out of... uh, Rolling Stone range.
0: Mm, yeah, that, that's probably the biggest thing you got to be careful of when when playing this is up against a, any deck that can kill something with two attack or less or with three health and just staying out of those obvious traps.
1: Yeah, that, that's the one thing that Photosynthesizer would still leave you open to is that you'd have, or I guess um, Knockout as well, but the Photosynthesizer uh, will make your Triceratops a two-power thing um, and so it can still die to there. Awesome removal spell, but, I mean, hey, it's not like it's completely resistant to all ways to deal with it. It is a slightly fair card, even if it is pushed really hard.
0: Yeah, just uh, be careful, and uh, be careful of throwing a gravestone in front of it, because it might get Grave Mistaked.
1: Yeah, definitely, that's got to that's gotta be one of the worst Grave Mistake feel-bads, is where not only does the Grave Mistake bounce your thing, but it also Dynar Wars them, on their creature that's going to now deal you bullseye damage because he doesn't have a blocker anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty harsh.
0: I found that to be pretty effective. Where if you're running like a triceratops deck with a bunch of uh, cheap dinosaur triggers at the top end, put a bunch of like single target bounce removal to just keep opening up the lane in front of your giant triceratops to let you attack a couple of times.
1: Oh yeah, I mean I, the bounce stuff that is available to. Players of this game is is very, very good. I mean, like jelly bean was so good that it had to get nerfed. And I mean I've um been a lot more of a proponent of Leaf Blower than I think the community at large. But uh yeah, bouncing stuff is great. Indeed.
0: Okay. Uh switch over to the zombie side.
1: So in addition to Stompadon, Zomblob and Barrel of Barrels, what were the other power centers of Colossal Fossils for the Zombie Side, Mike?
0: Uh well we talked a little bit, bit about Quick Druck Con Man already and I'm sure uh, all of you are very familiar with that card, but yeah the...
1: yeah, that's the 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 other super busted bullseye card that made it into this set,
0: yeah, this card is something else because I remember in one of the like preview uh demo videos from like Ginta or whoever where we saw an early prototype version of this and it was like a like a four mana four four evolution conjure uh like a zombie an environment a trick and his superpower like oh right
1: because it's got because it's got the four hands
0: right yeah it was like like i possibly evolve and conjure four in one thing and i think that was deemed to be a too powerful with like because that would that would trigger stomping on four times right
1: it would yeah i mean that honestly knowing how busted quick draw con man was i wonder if that would be better or worse than what we got because what we got was a one-cost 1-4, one which is just absolutely absurd, um, that not only has bullseye, but deals bullseye damage to your opponent every time they draw a card, which is just, like, pretty much as close to zero-cost kill them as you can get. Anytime a game started with turn one quick draw con man in the times where it was a 1-4, um, it was guaranteed to do minimum two damage if not four or five um unless you burn a
0: superpower on it if you're like yeah
1: i mean and there were some superpowers that didn't even kill it like the ones that deal three didn't get it um which was completely nuts
0: conman also gave way to the really annoying aggro professor brainstorm decks that involved playing quick draw conman and the Two mana regifting zombie to drop two cards for both yes. players, and sometimes they would also run other cards, and sometimes they'd be dirty hackers and run uh, twenty and twenty of those. Yeah, I mean they didn't even have to.
1: I mean it, it's like the the people that play the the people that play the forty Admiral Navy Bean deck. Like, okay, maybe sometimes you lose with the Bean deck where you're playing it honest if you have only four copies of Admiral Navy Bean, um, but. Four copies of Quickdraw Con Man and four copies of Two Mana Regifting Zombie were a pretty unshakable recipe for success. And so I think that they were guilty of gross underestimation of the power of their deck right there.
0: And uh, to round out the zombie side, the uh, last card from the set we're going to spotlight is the Parasol Zombie. The four mana, three six, so just a boatload of stats. Boatload of stats. Yeah. It looks like the same thing. Yeah, w- water elemental territory. But it mm-hmm. is untrickable, and also zombies next door are untrickable. So yeah, this was the part of the first batch of uh, untrickable cards was uh, this one that let you just uh, protect whatever your neighbor could be, be it a teleport zombie or something you're trying to evolve, or your your big combo, your, your 20 attack som- blob. This is kind of a
1: sister card to a card that plants got, the umbrella leaf. The umbrella leaf was a one cost zero one uh, that did not have untrickable, uh, and of course had team up. Uh, Whereas this is Untrickable itself, which I think is really what makes this card so good. I think that um, if there's any zombie card that is the uh, kind of spiritual equivalent of Wingnut, I would say that it's this one where it's just like more stats than it has any right to have combined with an ability that very actively hoses a lot of very good plant cards. You know, I think that this was a attempt to manage the metagame uh with a blood instrument because that's very much what this is.
0: This is really hard to kill. Like, do six damage to something without using any tricks is like you gotta you gotta build your deck thinking that you gotta have a way to deal with that. Like you gotta like front a Briar Rose. You gotta throw down a guacodile. Like not every hero is gonna have a an effective way to deal with this guy. For
1: sure. And it's it's I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but uh, for uh, As a reminder, Untrickable is not like the, um, can't be the target of spells or hero powers in Hearthstone, or like Hexproof in Magic, where like, if the effect doesn't target a thing, it'll still affect the, the creature. Untrickable will ignore anything printed on a trick, so like, if you say, destroy all creatures... Um, parasol zombie and the stuff that it gives untrickable to will not be destroyed
0: yeah you might even need to uh, waste a cob cannon to nuke this creature
1: really the only way that you can reach out and kill it Briar Rose you mentioned as the other way to kind of use a creature effect to instantly kill it because plants don't have deadly of course and a lot of the plants ability to bounce stuff which is kind of their like uh, reciprocal uh, mirror image of of deadly uh, comes from tricks so you're SOL there
0: yeah, and if, if you can't deal with a 3-6, then how are you going to deal with whatever the 3-6 is there to protect? Totally.
1: So yeah, I mean, set 3 was a very fun set, kind of like the beginnings of the shape of the current metagame. You know, we didn't really mention berries that much, but like the berry stuff kind of started to come in. Um, it's definitely kind of like, you can see how it is hand in glove with the stuff that came in set 4.
0: Yeah, and the uh, evolution stuff has changed how we play the game pretty dramatically, because it's used to be if you played some cheap creature, like a 2-2 or a 2-1, you could just ignore that, and that would just be hitting your block meter every turn. But now you can use that to power up some other big creature that is, uh, makes you approach a game in a completely different way, and I like it for that.
1: Yeah, it definitely makes the gameplay a lot more tactical and a lot more forgiving about like bad placement of small creatures. I think from a game design perspective, I don't really like that the zero-cost 1-1s are as strategically important as they are. You know, like, you know, Swabby was a thing that people were, um, you know, kind of making jokes about uh, for a long time, but being able to play a Zomblob on top of a Swabby in the water lane was like a really big deal. And, you know, the being able to play a Gloom Shroom on top of a Puff Shroom or to use your Puff Shroom to power up your Cycle Cap deck is a really big deal. And I think that that's just kind of not a very cool place to put PowerPoints, I mean, like, in terms of making sure that the fun is as accessible to everybody as it can be, um, because for players who are new to this kind of game, the proxies that they use to judge how good a card is, like how much does it cost, how many stats does it have, does it have an ability that's really cool, how rare is it, all that stuff is really kind of... The exact opposite of what a new player would expect with regards to Puff Shroom, for example. Uh, it costs zero. It's the cheap. It's the most common rarity. Um, its stats are very poor, and it looks like it doesn't really do anything. And yet, it's one of the best cards in the set. In a way, it's example of what. Mark Rosewater, the lead designer of Magic, calls lenticular design, where, like, the complexity and the power of cards is kind of hidden in ways that you don't have to confront new players with a bunch of complicated, hard-to-understand stuff, but still give the the advanced players and the players who want to look for the strategic depth something to find. Um, but when it is packaged in something that is just as on-its-face unremarkable as a zero-cost 1-1, one, one, um, I think that that's just kind of... Something about that just doesn't seem right to me. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, and you've always got to be careful when you start printing zero-cost cards because that can inadvertently open the door to a lot of uh, unexpected degenerate strategies sometimes. I, I think they're doing an all-right job with uh, keeping them in check. Like, I like that even though they've started making zero-cost cards, they have not felt compulsed to make one for every color because that sure like. They probably would not be able to make 10 zero-cost cards and have everything be okay still. And have them be meaningfully different from each other. That too, yeah. Um, Yeah,
1: I mean, I think that the place where this bit them the hardest was in Evolution Mechanics and in Medulla Nebula. And Medulla Nebula also is a place where evolution mechanics are dangerous because, you know, you get to play the same card in the same lane or you get to play a different card in the same lane again you get to get multiple triggers off the nebula um, if that was going to be dangerous it was going to be dangerous in con- in the context of cheap, playable creatures um, with a payoff for making a bunch of brains. And all that stuff was in the exact same set. They printed Zomblob in the same set that they printed Swabby um, and so, you know, they took a gamble that wasn't going to be too much and it turned out to be too much i applaud them for giving that a shot and you know seeing that if it wasn't so good that it was going to not be dangerous then it would be a fun way for like the spikes of this game to kind of you know play with high power stuff that was kind of weird uh which is what spikes like to do but you know it turned out to be a little more dangerous than they intended
0: i think they also definitely wanted to give zombies the upper hand in the meta after this set came out because we remember for a while that zombies were were the king of the meta after set three rolled, and then when set four came out it kinda helped balance things back Berries in the other direction. Stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I I think um what was the plant stuff that was going on at the end of Galactic Gardens? Was it Cycle Cap existed? Um I guess Click P
0: everybody was mad about. Everyone was really mad about Clickpea, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean there there were definitely some
0: plant things that kinda needed to be and there was, Beaten like, back. like the healing stuff, which oh, yeah. Sneeze yeah, and yeah. Zombie came out as the counter to.
1: Oh, yeah, that was Heart of Choke. Like, yeah, Heart of Choke and stuff was, like, the big, unfair, nasty thing. And so, you know, that now Zombies got to be the big, unfair, nasty thing that was on the top of the food chain. And so, yeah, Turnabout's fair play.
0: Yeah, and uh, stay tuned next time for more Turnabout and or fair play on Shrimp for Two. And until then, I'm Mike. And I'm Taylor. Have a good week, everybody. Oh, one thing that I found out about Spirus that I really like Mm. is that I don't really care as much about what's in the gravestones, but I really like knowing when my opponent doesn't have any brains left.
1: Oh, yeah. You know?
0: I've been meaning to say that for like four shows now, and I just keep forgetting, but it's been something I'm really thankful for about (laughs) Spirus.
1: Yeah, I, I don't want to go back and give myself undue credit, but I think that that's kind of part of, I don't think I ever articulated it in that way, but I think that's part of what I meant when I was talking about Spyrus being something good to have in just about every deck, because that is definitely a very important piece of information.
0: I think all three of these cards will be seen as better, for sure, and I think that um, on. Uh.
1: Next. Nice.